Hello, and welcome to the Games User Research Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about reporting the results of, of user research, uh, both in academia and, and, in the, and, uh, and in industry. I am uh, Anders Draken, and with me today, as always, I have my co-hosts, Lennart Nake and Pechman Mirza Pabai. Sorry. Uh, Pechman, reporting is really boring. Why? Why? Why are we talking about this? I want to do research. I don't want to write stuff about it. Why do we care about this? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is a, a. I think there is a discussion, or uh, like to me, reporting is actually not that boring. It's actually the most exciting part of the of the project, uh, mostly because. That's where you get to communicate all your hard work back to the back to the team, uh, and uh, and I think reporting is not only like writing a stuff on a paper or in a PDF and sending. It's like I think everything we do uh, when we are trying to communicate our findings back. So it, it might be a meeting that you report your finding. It might be to a workshop, uh, or it well might be to a PowerPoint presentation or a written written document that you submit. Uh, so yeah, I think that's kind of the like in my opinion that's like the best part of the project because you get to actually you know deliver your findings and hopefully that's the time to uh, to have impact uh, on, on a product that you are uh, working on. Um, but then sometimes I feel that 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 part might be a bit rushed as, at the end, as well because. You already con conducted the study. You're probably ready to move on to the next study. You want to get like get the reporting done and then move on. So it's usually, I would say, maybe the most challenging part of the work as well. And the reason I say it's challenging is because even if you do the best study possible, but you don't report uh, your findings in a way that, let's say, it can be applicable or uh, even believable by developers, then you have very little impact on a product that you you have evaluated. Uh, that makes it uh, important and challenging and exciting part of the I, I I feel like you you you're making making you making some you 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 talk you're giving me some subtle hints about uh, some of my research papers when you're saying that people aren't reading them. I mean in uh, is that is that what we are what we're talking about here, or <laughs> this is your cue to, to say something? No, Anders, your papers are awesome. I've read all of them. Blah. I think ah, it depends on. on. So I would differentiate yeah. between maybe you know reporting uh, a study findings in an academic context and as well as in yeah. comparison to industry context. In, in, yeah, because in, in, in sorry, I was just thinking in academia. Usually, we we write that paper. We submit it, we get it published, and we hope for the best. Like, we don't really uh, <laughs> write it in a way. I mean, we try to write it like as a as an exciting, readable document, but that Very kind true. of uh, uh, like making sure people would read it is usually not part of the writing process in most cases. Uh, where <laughs> in the industry yeah. case uh, or, or 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 context. Hmm. Uh, you know, you really need to be able to, uh, you know, deliver those findings and you really need to be able to, uh, I, I like to use the word like a, 
you know, like be persuasive, like in your, in your presentation, yeah. in your report, because yeah. that becomes a really important part of your, of your yeah. work to have an impact on actual product. Um, but when you say uh, uh, be persuasive, you're not talking about um, how, uh, how should I put it? You are talking about persuading people to read the report or to accept the results of a report, not necessarily persuading them about something that isn't true, right? I would say both. So, like, I think a okay. step one is to, uh, like, let's say, persuade them and convince them that uh, mm -hmm. you have done a good work then uh, yeah. that they would read that and trust your work and then also take action on uh, on your suggestion yeah. so it's it's kind of a multiple a multi level of uh, let's say persuasion <laughs> involved uh, i don't know maybe persuasion sure. might not be the best word it might be let's call it like motivation maybe or even convincing yeah. people on on, yeah. on those but uh, yeah i think in the same way it might be the same when we write the academic paper as well you want to you know, justify your finding. You want to convince your reader, yeah. uh, particularly your reviewer, at the, before publication, to make sure that they, uh, you know, they understand why you have done that, what, what, what you are trying to communicate, what are your impact, what are your contribution. I'm sure Leonard has lot, a lot to say about uh, reporting uh, or writing academic uh, papers. So I don't know, Leonard. Do you want to add some stuff? Do you want to? Do you want to uh, jump in here, Leonard? Like, like, like I was thinking that. I, I guess one way that maybe at least sometimes we see a difference in between like a, a user research report that we do in a company and a user research paper that we see in academia is that in a company setting, we want someone to take action. Like it's, 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 a, it, it, it's, it's a document that needs to motivate and inform people uh, so, so they can make decisions and take action from it. Whereas, I guess on the uh, on the academic side, we definitely want people to to sort of continue our our research and sort of take some action there. But I guess it's a little bit sometimes a little bit more vague or maybe even nebulous on the academic side what the actual call to action is. But anyway, Lena, what uh, 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 what do you think, mate? I would completely disagree with you on on that one. Uh, I I don't think uh, you know. You, you, I, but this is the way that I I write papers, and, and I mean like I'm obviously because you know I'm, I'm teaching this course for seven years at Kai now, and I have it on my website now, kaicourse.com. Go there. Um, but um, one of the things that you uh, that you really want to emphasize at the end is to think about uh, what are the takeaways, right? Like if you don't have good takeaways, if you don't have a good sort of summary and, and ideally a call to action, yes, um, at the end, then, you know, what's the purpose of writing the paper? Sure, you could do a highly theoretical paper where you, you know, do sort of an argument and, you know, you kind of think about why dogs are super cute and then you list all the positives and the negatives about cute dogs and um, you, you, you kind of come to, you know, at the end, you still want to kind of come to a conclusion there, right? So in, in an academic paper, you still draw that conclusion and ideally you you do a little bit of a call to action at the end of it but yeah in, in game season research i think that's more important is more emphasis emphasis put on that it's also different writing styles right like in general sort of the methodological rigor that many reviewers will push you towards in an academic paper is not as is not as necessary in a user research uh, environment yes you want to make sure that 
the the facts that you're finding there are actual facts and you can with a high degree of certainty say that these things happen and these are uh, things that matter but and this is something that came up before in our podcast the most important thing is always being able to tell a story with that data that you have so one thing I think as academics, we're sometimes, you know, too hung up on getting the actual data right and, and like fantasizing about, you know, this amazing rigorous data collection work. But then we sometimes forget to tell an interesting story with that. And I think uh, if you're in a games user research environment, uh, that's not necessarily the case as much. It's much more important. And the the, the salesmanship, if you want, is is much more important at the end of a report and actually not just the end the entire report really because from the beginning to the end you want to make sure that you're giving um academic researchers a um a bit of a not not academic researchers you're giving stakeholders at the company a bit of a reason to buy into that into that research that you're doing right i think that's at the heart of it um yeah, really yeah. working hard so that you can man, you can you can um, you can give your manager a reason to uh, say okay here's uh, here's the value of that research right like here's how it actually helps them improve that game or how it improves our process and and this is probably also why this is much more done in PowerPoints and in other formats than it is in the more traditional formats right so something to keep in mind there. So are there, are there any, um, like what, are, are there any best practices for the, for the reporting of use of user research, um, that we can, that we can, that we sort of draw out, uh, whether in an academic setting, industry setting or both or any I'll other tell you one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I just noticed because I, I just come from grading a bunch of UX final reports and I make them, you know, write UX it's the, research reports. It's the season. Yeah. So, it's the season exactly and and one of the things that i always have to emphasize is prioritize your findings like it just bugs me oh, when people point. just have this unsorted list of findings and it, there's no priority on it by prioritizing yeah. your findings by having a priority attached to each finding that you present in the report you're making it easier for this to be actionable so you're mm. basically having a top-down to-do list where you're saying this is really the first thing you should be looking at and then it becomes actionable automatically because I'm saying here, this is the emphasis, do this first, then do this, then do that, right? Like if you don't do that, then where do I start as a person reading the report? How do I take action now? If I don't know which one of these I should address first. That's an excellent point. Yeah. How, how do we, um, how do we, how do we actually rate like if, if if this was a um, a test report, re, uh, right? Um, what could such a rating system look like? Like scale of one to five, or what? Uh, what do we normally use, Patchman? Mm. So, in terms of prioritizing, I think that's what you're uh, asking. So, I usually have yeah. uh, uh, or use two. Uh, two measures uh, to decide on a priority of an issue. Uh, and I'm talking about like an industry context in, in, in here. So the the first one is uh, the frequency, uh, how, how often that issue happened. Uh, let's think you are 
let's assume you are building a jumping game and the jump mechanic is really annoying. Uh, then, and it, it happens a lot. So that automatically make that issue one of your highest priority because of the frequency of that, uh, of that action, of the, of the issue. Uh, the other one that I usually consider is the impact of the issue. Uh, so let's imagine you build a game and in your first level, there is, a, uh, there is one action that you need to do, but players don't know that. Uh, and it only happens even once, like it's only in your first level, that, that puzzle, that whatever they need to do. But players get a stock there and quit your game in, in, their first in the first level. So although that issue has a very low frequency, it happens once, it has, it has a huge impact because if they, could, if they get a stock in the first level, they very likely leave the game and never come back. So, so those are the two things that I often uh, ask people to consider. One, how often that issue happened and what's the impact of that issue? And then considering those two, then you can decide on the priority, on the priorities of things you want to, uh, you want to fix. Yeah. Leonard, what, uh, what would your recommendations be for, be for, uh, be in terms of sort of best practices in, in, in how we write reports? Um, I think at the heart of it is that you need a good structure, you know, when, whether yeah. it's writing Kai papers or it's writing reports, like having a template, uh, something that you can work off of is really key. It makes it easy to fill in the sections to, to know what you need to be talking about. Obviously, The findings are the core part uh, that are in the middle. Um, at the beginning, I kind of like to have a little bit of the discovery bit. If you're doing discovery type of research, where you're talking a little bit about the segment that you're analyzing, you're um, characterizing your sample. Some people like to do personas. You know, this is not very common in, in games, much more common outside of games. Um, but even then, often personas are not used to their fullest extent. And, and again, personas are really only good if you're actually representing uh sort of market research if you're actually representing your audience if you're just kind of yeah, making true, up true. something then you know you, you, you got nothing there so don't do like art personas or something or like just come up with a name in the fancy pictures no good for anyone um and so at the end um then you want to basically yeah you, you want to have these call for action so you go into the findings uh, overview findings and then at the end you really want to be like and this is what you should do next, you know, take the dog and go for a walk, sort of like really being actionable in your suggestion at the end. This is obviously a lead into yeah. pleasure yeah. as well here. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would definitely uh, agree with that. Not like if, 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 if what we are trying to do is to, is to inform decisions, we need to make it as easy as possible to make those, those decisions, right? Yes. To really, Help people be be informed by by the by the by the by the research, uh, which means really making all all the evidence all the all the all the evidence all the all the, all the evidence clear, but also be I say one other thing is also be very be very aware of um, of biasing the decisions that the relevant stakeholder will make, whether it's in the form whether doing it via research paper or or, or a User user experience uh, test report, right? We we have to present the evidence, and then be a little bit careful about not interpreting the evidence, right? It varies. I'll say it varies a little bit uh, depending on on the context, but it's 
but there is a difference in between providing information to a decision maker and being a decision maker, right? I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, mm, I think that's that's quite uh, uh, interesting to consider. The way I try to approach it uh, is, it's usually kind of trying to cover three aspects uh, when reporting a finding or reporting an issue. And again, I'm trying to focus more on the industry context uh, here. So the first thing that I I try to cover is what what was what 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 did we observe or what's the issue uh, so kind of explain uh, explain that uh, the second part is to explain why that issue exists uh, so let's say uh, kind of going back to that previous example that i had uh, let's imagine the you know the issue is players cannot solve the puzzle in level 1 that's that's our issue then why that issue exists is you know could be various reasons. It could be that you know the players don't know the mechanics that they need to use. Uh, you know the players may not know how to which button on the controller they need to press. Uh, the players may not know the the puzzle might be too difficult. So we need to understand why that issue exists. And then the third things to talk about, and that's where uh, like you know communicating with the stakeholders becomes important. Is what's that? In, what's the impact of that issue? Uh, like what happened if you don't solve that? Again, in, in our case, that's a puzzle in level one. If you don't solve it, you have a high chance of players quitting your game. Uh, or it might be another case that let's say a player doesn't know how to use a certain mechanic. The impact is that you know it's gonna like in the gameplay, whenever that mechanic is needed or that action is needed, players don't know how to how to uh, how to you know execute that. So usually those three things should cover the uh, again, what what did we observe? Why is it uh, why is it the issue, and what's the impact of that issue? Uh, and these three sh should be able to make the issue uh, or the findings more actionable as well, because now you know the the cause behind that, so you can go and try to address that. Again, if it's about teaching a mechanic, you can make sure that you know there are enough uh, instruction maybe for the players to understand the mechanics. There is enough time for them to practice before they get to that. Uh, key bit that they need to uh, they need to execute. Uh, so yeah, basically covering those three usually leads to answer as well as the, to the action that's needed. Cool. So I was wondering, are there any um, like are there any typical pitfalls or sort of common common errors that you guys have seen people do a lot? Whether again, whether in academia or in or in industry in general, when we try to to report on the results of of game user research, mm. like I, I mentioned <laughs> bias earlier, but um, but are there, like do you have a like a top three pet peeves or something? I mean, bias is clearly a, a thing that you you just got to be aware of when you do the reporting. Yeah. I think another thing is overclaiming things uh, this is particular if you're a very junior researcher you tend to overclaim the things that your data tells you uh, you're too keen to, st to tell a story uh, so you gotta make sure you, you tell the the right story and it actually gets easier to tell these stories if you do qualitative research if you have a lot of quotes from participants and just a lot of you know just, um, a lot of things that 
create or weave together that fabric. I, I think that's really sort of key for that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes when we're uh, quantitative heavy and we have graphs um, and, you know, we don't include things like error bars or other things when, uh, when it should be a thing that um, belongs there, then, you know, we, we have issues in terms of like what the data tells I mean, I don't have to tell you the, the classic visualization errors that happen, uh, you know, like skewing data or not having a uniform scale. Oh, my God. You know, like people don't do that, luckily, in user research, but marketing, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. not in games. But, you know, we've definitely seen it like for pharma companies and other people like trying to sell things. There's actually this nice episode. Uh, I recently watched this show called Dope Sick uh, about uh, OxyContin and how that became sort of the start of the opioid ep epidemic. And they yeah. talked about... Yeah. Uh, one graph in particular where they kind of skewed that graph and I'm like every information visualization researcher should should see this one episode where they clearly talk about um, this is not how you present data and they take it to the FDA in, in the show and then the guy also says like that this is not how data should be represented obviously they're trying to flatten the curve by having a non-uniform distribution there and, and you know as a researcher yeah. you see that instantly but if you're not a researcher you know, let's say you're your stakeholder, your decision maker, and it gets presented to you in a way, you, then Very true. you can cheat with those visualizations, and, and that'd be horrible. Yeah. But I've never, I've never seen like knowing that that no. exists. Yes, but I've never seen that happen in, in games research. Luckily, I think we have a community of very educated, very smart people out there that yeah. are that are very yeah. much aware of these Definitely. things. Um, yeah, I, I think, think I agree. Like, if it, hmm? sorry, I just think Pedman no. has a lot more. Uh, like hands-on things that he stumbles upon in, in his work with yeah. uh, some of the industry partners. Um, Pitchman? Yeah. Any, uh... So, yeah, it's, I, I really like uh, discuss discussion around reporting because as I said, I think they are really important and also really interesting topic to uh, investigate more because I feel uh, there hasn't been enough uh, attention both from like uh, industry and academic researchers on reporting like if you look at uh, you know like even academic papers there are loads of them on methodological uh, you know contribution and very few on on reporting and stuff there are like bunch on, on visualization usually but that's like a you know very specific type of reporting uh, so overall i wish there were more research on on reporting uh, the but back to kind of uh, the common issues that I see, I think there are two that I could uh, maybe like I could remember immediately when you asked that question. One is, uh, you know, providing a right level of details, depending on who, who you are reporting to. Again, I'm, I'm again, my context is usually industry context here. Uh, you know, same as. I would say same as like building a product, a report can be a product. So it would be a good idea to, let's say, user test your report before you actually send it to, <laughs> to people who want to say, and also consider their needs when you are writing that report. So if you are writing a report that's going to go to, let's say, maybe one of the C-level executive or one of the VP, they probably don't want to know like very small detail of, of something that, uh, that, you know, maybe a programmer needs to, 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 to fix it. They probably want some higher level information, maybe about, uh, you know, overall gameplay strategy, maybe the time that it takes to complete the level, uh, maybe really like big important issues that they need to consider. And then vice versa, if you are maybe working with a, with a programmer or a designer, 
then you need to be very specific on, on, on or level of detail that is relevant to them. So that's something to, to consider when, uh, when reporting. Uh, the other one that I've seen, uh, it is most common with junior researcher, is to let they add their personal uh, emotions uh, to the report uh, without being too clearly justified. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For example, they're making a presentation and they were like, oh, the designer did a really bad job here because they include this or uh, the game yeah. is so frustrating because they yeah. did that. But yeah. those emotions, is, it's very likely their personal opinion uh, and particularly problematic if they are not able to justify. Like if you say, I don't know, the menu design is really bad and then leave it just there. You need to, again, explain why it's really bad. Why do you think the game is frustrating? Like you cannot just say the game is really frustrating without providing more detail. And that's something I've seen a lot, uh, especially when we are like working with a junior researcher that they like, they look at the game and like, oh, this level was really frustrating. And I was like, okay, bye, <laughs> Give me, tell me more. And uh, I know one of my colleagues, he, he, uh, he, he likes calling it like, he tells, he, he says like, a, it's like a peeling an onion. So you just, need to dig deeper and deeper, like layer by layer and get to that information that it's the core of the pr problem. And then that's something that can be then specific enough and actionable uh, for, for people to, uh, for, you know, relevant stakeholders to take action. Um, so yeah, those are my two. In, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say those are my two, yeah. two key things. Uh, so that that on, on on my side brings up two questions. One is um, when we're writing a, an academic paper, we always take great pains to define our our terms, right? So when we use when we talk about frustration in games, we would always have a definition. It might not be the, be a definition everyone agrees with, but it would be a definition that would have some sort of an argument for argument for based on previous research or whatever, right? Um, to what degree, when we write a the a report within within the industry based on on a on a test or a piece of user research, do we always need to define terms like frustration, fun, experience? Like like, would you normally have have a section in a report that defines these terms, or what mm -hmm. uh, what what's your best practice there? <laughs> this is actually a really interesting question and something that I, yeah. I think last week I was discussing it with one of my colleagues uh, because we came to that to know that issue. Like, so I, I haven't done something like that in the past or very rarely, maybe yeah. I may have done it once or twice in some particular cases. But in one of the projects I was working on recently, I noticed that there is a, and again, industry context. I noticed that there is a disagreement or misunderstanding of those terminology. Uh, and, and it was some of the, like, like, you know, like not even things such as frustration, but what, what do we mean by usability issue? What do we mean by the, by user experience issue uh, on that level? Uh, and I think I mentioned some of these in the last week podcast as well. And that kind of, uh, that highlights the need of basically what you mentioned to, to try to come up with a, at least share our understanding of, of those terminologies to make sure everyone at least un, like can, yeah. could know where we are coming from. Like it's even before we agree on those terminologies, at least you can say, when we refer to usability, these are the five things that we are focusing yeah. on. 
uh, when we are talking about like frustration or difficulty, this is what we mean by mm. that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, I, that, that would make a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, and another thing that I was thinking about is like whenever we do research that involves people I feel like we always have a lot of assumptions that we need to make right um, and there are a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainties that are involved like one of the benefits of, of my line of work in, in analytics is that often we can work with the entire population of a game. So there are a lot of problems with sampling, for example, that we don't have to deal with. Um, uh, Lena, do you have any advice for us regarding what's the, what's the right level of describing your assumptions or uncertainties in a in a in a in a in a paper and and pitchman can you say anything about how we would deal with this in an industrial report well the gold standard is to you know acknowledge your limitations right from the start and to uh, yeah to also say why you made the choices you made about your sample to say um this is why i selected this many participants this is why um, I decided to study this specific group of users uh, or, or participants or people. Everyone prefers the term people, not users. Um, and so the, yeah, the, the idea behind it is essentially um, be clear, be clear about how you're setting this up, be clear about that from the start. And, you know, in academic papers, we always have that at the very end where we're saying, okay, the limitations are this and that. And most papers actually get rejected because they don't do that, right? Like um, junior authors, don't know how to do that because the thing is this this can be a strong thing to say these are our limitations but this is why our results are still valid that's a a thought exercise you have to do as an academic but also as a user researcher in industry to be clear about yeah you know these are the caveats but this is also why this still makes a lot of sense so it's important to yeah. to be able to balance those right um, and i think then you become more effective your results have more impact because you're, you're not lying. It's tr trust is really important. You know, our colleague Steve Bromley writes about that a lot in, in his books about uh, games user research. Trust is a, is a really important factor. Building that initial trust as a games user researcher, you want that trust with the company. So it's important that people can trust you and that you're doing valid work. Yeah, true, true. Uh, yeah. Uh, Pesman, any, any uh, observations on, on, on in terms of industry uh, reports or, yeah. Yeah, so the, I think I like to think about it from different angles. Uh, yeah. So on, on a core of it, uh, I think one of the key maybe characteristic of researchers is that uh, that curiosity nature of it. And then, uh, and then we always uh, try to, uh, or not always, but often we, we, we are trying to make uh, you know, make better understanding of a product that we are evaluating. And then we are using various methods and various data points that kind of contribute to that understanding. Uh, at the end, we make that recommendation or suggestion or that assumption based on those various data points that we are basically consuming. Uh, so, so that's okay. I mean, that's, that's part of the work. Uh, the, the part that can be a little bit tricky is how these uh, different data points can 
misled us uh, into a wrong uh, direction. Uh, I give you one. Uh, I try to kind of anonymize it as much as possible, but that was the issue I was dealing with yesterday. Uh, I was looking at the game. Uh, we were trying to come up with some of the key issues uh, that that exist, and then uh, I suggested one of the mechanic is a is, is a problematic mechanic, uh, and then. The data science team said that that's not true. It's an unimportant issue because our data shows no one uses that mechanic or very a small percentage, like only 5% of, of players are using that feature. Uh, but then my argument was the reason only 5% uses it is because it's done really badly. Uh, and I asked them to investigate it more uh, on, on that feature. And then they, it turns out that uh, that you know, users that use that feature have a much higher success rate in uh, in trying to you know achieve whatever they wanted to, and uh, the reason they're not using it is probably because it's not implemented very well. Uh, otherwise, those who figure it out how to use it, they they were able to success that goal much faster and and easier. So, and that's an example that how these data set data different data set can uh, you know. Uh, misled our, our, our understanding and our assumption. So in that case, uh, you know, that, that particular feature I think is important to fix and that shows, you know, and the evidence is how much it contributes to like user success uh, in completing that task. Uh, and the low number of usage is probably because it's not done very well and it's hard to find or whatever. Um, and then yeah. in order to, like usually I try to, when I'm trying to both at the proposal stage, when I'm writing a research proposal and both at reporting stage, I try to like state my assumption as well as state what's not, uh, what I'm not trying to cover or not I'm trying to uh, include both in the report and both in the at, the at the proposal stage. So I want to be very clear on, uh, you know, this report, for example, is not about this and this. Uh, so don't try to kind of read it and then overinterpret that. Uh, into into those those topics that's not included in the research, uh, but again, very interesting uh, point to uh, to reflect on and discuss more. Yeah, and I mean, uh, speaking speaking as 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 um, as as a person on 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 the data science uh, data data science team, I can only agree that one of that one of that one of the challenges that we have here is always that data have a great allure, as I call it. Right, and it is incredibly easy to look at or, or to fall fall into the trap of looking at behavioral data and not realizing that we can that they tell us what people do, but we only draw inference as to why. And this is why exactly. I always see game analytics and game and, and games user research and user experience research in games as really going hand in hand. We really need both of those angles to understand players, right? Awesome. Yeah. Um, anyway, we are we are running out out of uh, out of time here, folks. Are there any uh, any uh, any final comments? No. No, I awesome. think that was a good one. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking yeah. about research, and thanks for bringing that topic yeah. up. <laughs> it's awesome. Thanks, everyone. Look, uh, this has been incredibly interesting, and uh, and and as always, it feels like that uh, that we're only opening uh, opening the lid on something. We're not really getting into 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 uh, into depth here. So we will have to talk more about this in in the in the future. 
Um, for more on Games User Research, go to uh, gurbook.com. That is G-U-R-B-O-O-K.com. And check out uh, uh, the book. Uh, and to our listeners, thanks for listening and looking today. We hope it was enjoyable and, and, uh, and informative and all the best to everyone.